0: You can go out there, have a full streamlined business for the right reasons to do the right things and not have to fall into that category of being, oh, he's just trying to scheme on me to make money on me.
1: Hey, welcome to The Empire Show. This is Bedros Koulian, and this is an Inside Look. And we're doing something very unique and different today. We're going to talk about people who've got careers, who've got jobs. Uh, You might be a public servant. Uh, You might have a uh, career in some kind of industry, and you might want to break out of that industry and become an entrepreneur. And this is really the big thing that we're going to talk about today And uh, we've got none other than my dear friend, Ryan Tillman, who's got an amazing company called Breaking Barriers United. Ryan, what's up, man? What's going on, man? Thanks for coming out to The Empire Show. And uh, today we're going to do a deep dive into you, your business, what you do as a police officer. Excellent. uh, Especially in these crazy times. (laughs) So uh, if you're watching and listening to this, um, we are, what, a week and a half since George Floyd? Yeah. murder two weeks if not two weeks yeah okay so this is a very critical time and you know it was one of those things that i'd always been meaning to bring you on the show uh we've known each other going on almost a year and i mean no better time than now yeah Yeah. so let's uh let's get started about i just want to know like why you became a cop obviously you loved cops, and and, and <laughs> you grew up as a little child saying, "I just dream of being a
0: cop." Is that right? <laughs> oh yeah, that's absolutely not right. <laughs> not right. So what's the story? So, um, so growing up, man, I grew up locally. Grew up in Rialto, California, which is not that far from here. Uh, actually, I didn't really have too many interactions at a young age with police officers. It wasn't really until I start getting into high school that I actually start to, you know, see cops here and there. Yeah. Um, my my some of my family members uncle ma- uncles and things like that they would have bad run-ins they would get pulled over harassed for you know stupid things whatever it may be and I just kind of saw that from a far distance didn't really pay much of mind to it. So then as I started getting older, I, get, I never forget the story, man. I got, I was uh, driving, I had a Mustang, I had like a 94 Mustang, just got my license, man. You could, you, I was probably the coolest thing in town. You couldn't tell me nothing, man. So, <laughs> you know, I'm driving in the city, man. I'm like, you know, I have my seat back. You know, back in the day, you like roll, you lay your seat back. all Yeah, yeah like, where all you can see <laughs> is yeah, yeah, where where you can the up on the steering yeah. wheel, yeah. You couldn't tell me nothing. So anyways, I had my beanie on and it was cold and I was talking on the phone. Now, this was right around the time that they had just started passing laws. You couldn't talk on the phone. And so I'll never forget I had some guys roll up next to me and basically start saying, you know, get the, you know, mother, get off the mother effing phone and, you know, wipe the, you know, effing smile off your face and stuff like that. Wait, these were cops? These were, yeah, these were cops. And I guess they were an unmarked vehicle. Got it. So in my mind, I'm thinking, like, they could have easily just told me to just get off the phone. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I had that bad experience. And then, you know, moving forward in life, I started having some other bad experiences. I remember driving through a neighborhood. and One of the things I've always been a visionary. So. You know, my vision for my my brand, my vision for my business, it wasn't like it was just brand I woke up one day and just had a vision all of a sudden. It was I've always visioned, you know, how can I change our society. So I like in in order to do that, I like to go find inspiration and things. So I was driving through a neighborhood in Ranch Cucamonga, just trying to see like, hey, like, you know, oh, this is cool house, man, it'd be cool, all that other stuff. So some guys following me. So I noticed he's fine. It's not like I'm in like a, like a bad-looking car. Even if I was, oh, well, like it doesn't matter. But I was in a decent-looking car at the time. I had upgraded. I had got a Infiniti G35. So I'm like, okay. you know, now I'm really the, the next thing since sliced bread. Yeah, I'm <laughs> balling now. So I'm driving to the, ne- the neighborhood, and some guy pulls up behind me. He's like, hey, you don't belong in the neighborhood. Um, you know, you need to leave here. If not, I'm going to call my partners and have them come arrest you. So he was portraying himself, I guess, as an off-duty police officer. So I'm like, and the worst part about it was his young son was right there, and I'm like, mm. you know, he didn't need to see all that. So anyways, it did I was kind of used to it at that point. How old were you at that point when that happened? Uh I was probably around like 21, 22 ish So I was already I had already moved back and I'll go go into my story about where because I went to college and played football at UNLV, so that's a whole different other story. But anyways, you fast forward, um, you know, I just started having these, I didn't like police officers. And then you start, you you throw in social media into the mix because that was right, you know, at that time, Facebook was, you know, the thing. It actually was MySpace first, then it was Facebook. And then you start, people start sharing content. Mm -hmm. And it almost started fueling a fire against police and started developing this fire in my heart that I didn't like police officers at all. So then I'll never forget, and this is probably, I I feel terrible about this and I feel uh, ashamed of myself for this, but I'll never forget when Christopher Dorner, was going out killing cops, and when he was doing that, part of me was like rooting for him, and it wasn't because I I wasn't wasn't thinking about the police officers. It was because I had started, I had developed, and the media had developed this whole thing for me that oh, you know what, like this Robin Hood mentality, like oh, he's coming to speak out and be the voice. Yeah. And I didn't realize how desensitized I became uh, for human life at that point in time, based on my bad experiences. What I saw on social media. So
1: you weren't thinking about the 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 life in the uniform. You were just thinking about the uniform, the cop.
0: Yeah, bad. That's it. Kill him. Yeah, that's it. I didn't think about family members behind it. Nothing. Nothing. And so. And it's easy to do that. Super easy, And especially you with you think about like content, like Instagram, whatever it is. Like back in the day, I don't know if you remember this, but back in the day. Uh, they would have those TV shows like Too live for TV. Yeah, yeah. And like, if you watched that, you were like living life on the edge cause yeah. you're like seeing like people getting like murdered and things yeah. like that. Now you can go on Instagram see it. and see yeah. death right away and, and make matters worse. Like I have a six year old, a four year old and a two year old. So they have access to that. So we've become desensitized to it. Yeah. And so that's the scary part. So anyways, fast forward all that. I just didn't like police officers at all. Just based on those interactions I had, the, the, seeing what I saw on social media and then I have you know family members that were pulled over multiple times said it fit the description of an armed robbery suspect and then they're pulled over handcuffed and then they're released and then nothing ever came about it and there's no explanation so my disposition to cops was like nah like I'm not about to be working for the man I'm not about to be a pig I'm not about to be the popo like that was my mentality before I became uh-huh. an officer very interesting, and then you become an officer. We'll explore that in
1: just a moment. And then what about Breaking Barriers United? Um, that that really got my attention, and that was before any of this mm-hmm. race riot and all that's happening right now.
0: What What's Breaking Barriers United? So Breaking Barriers United is a company to bridge the gap between law enforcement and community. So it wasn't like this company was formed when George Floyd passed away. Right. Um, like I said, I was always been a visionary. And so when I got into law enforcement, Part of me was like, man, like, well, there goes my dreams of being an entrepreneur. Like, i always my dream was to be an entrepreneur my whole life. I, I can go down the list and share with you like idea after idea I had. I got business plans, um, and the funny thing about all the ideas I had, I would I would make it a little bit further and fail, a little bit further and then fail, and I stopped classifying it as a failure. I started realizing it was a success. It was just preparing me for what the next thing was that I was going to do. Yeah. And so when I got into law enforcement, I was like thinking, like, man, like there goes God, like there goes my opportunity. Now I'm- let's talk about that for a moment. So, so our audience, our audience
1: consists of entrepreneurs, and then what what we call wantrepreneurs—people mm-hmm. who have jobs, who have careers. And uh, in, some in industries that they love, mm-hmm. but have that burning in their stomach, that, that that gnawing in their stomach, that maybe I'm supposed to be the person that signs the front of the check and not the back of the mm-hmm. check, right? And so I'm curious, why? What ran through your mind when you're like, well, now that I'm an officer, which pays pays well, mm-hmm. uh, health benefits, pension down the line, all that stuff? Why would you think that now that I'm an officer, like what's, what's running through your mind that now there goes
0: my dreams of being an entrepreneur? It's because you know we've been kind of ingrained you know I, my, so my parents, phenomenal parents, I love my parents, and I wouldn't be anywhere without my parents. They were very hard workers. Both my mom and dad you know worked full time and not only did they work full-time, they made it a point to come to almost every single sporting event I had. Everything I had, growing, you know what I mean, and I grew up in a neighborhood where majority of my friends didn't have both parents in the house, and so I just really appreciate my parents. But at the same time, I they they grew up middle class, you know what I mean, middle class lifestyle. So the whole idea of taking risks was never introduced to me at a young age. I didn't start seeing that till I went to college in Vegas and start seeing all these people from all around the world, and then having people looking from afar like, man, like that is like a cool lifestyle to live life on your terms. So when I got that job as a police officer, in my mind, I'm thinking like, well, this is, yeah, it's a great, it's a decent paying job, but that's what it is, it's a decent paying job. Now, don't get me wrong, it's an honorable job, it's a very honorable profession, and and for many, this fulfills their desire for service and self-sacrifice, but for me, I knew that I still had a bigger calling, and that's why I was like, at first I was like, I couldn't see the vision even though I was a visionary, I couldn't see the vision of entrepreneurship as a police officer. Gotcha. I, I guess at that point, it, it
1: hasn't crossed your mind that I could do
0: this and that. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know what the need was at that point. And see, a lot of people get it twisted. And one of the things I learned in all those failures I had is, you know, when you jump from, when you jump from thing to thing to thing, of course you're going to fail. You know, your success comes with the consistency. And so me and my buddy Billy, uh, who's in the studio right now with us, we were talking about this the other day. Is like, I think we've been successful because we've been consistent. Our content hasn't always been the best. There have been some times where we put out some effed up content. You know what I mean? But it, it, we were consistent with everything that we did. And people started seeing a message. They started seeing that we were consistent. And so, you know, when you have such a time as this with George Floyd, you know you almost realize it's almost like a commercial like how many times have we watched commercials on tv and never thought about it twice you could let's just use a vacuum cleaner for example you'll see the same vacuum cleaner over and over and over again and then the moment you actually need a vacuum cleaner is like that's the moment you realize the commercial you just saw. Yeah. So what me and Billy have been doing over huh. the course of the last, you know, 5 years or so is we've been consistent with changing the narrative of law enforcement in the community and now the last 2 weeks my phone's been blowing up off the hook from anybody and everybody because
1: all those times when you were speaking out it's like ah it's kind of falling on deaf ears because mm-hmm. it wasn't a need. It wasn't a need. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't yeah. it wasn't a need until it was a need. Yeah. And, and by the way the the piece in our brain that catches that It's called the Reticular Activation Center. Mm. Um, And I learned about this years ago through, uh, gotta give credit to John Asheroff. He's just like this amazing dude that studies the brain and how and why we think. And the way he explained it was, um, you know, you and I are talking, and since we're talking Mustangs, let's let's say, what if I'm like, hey Ryan, when you guys leave, when you and Billy leave here, you guys are driving down the highway, uh, see if you can spot any of these new Mustangs, right? The new Mustang Shelby Cobras that are out there all of a sudden, you're going <laughs> to see like, a, new, a Mustang everywhere. Mm-hmm. And you're like, where the hell they come from? And that's the particular Activation Center looking for them yep. or filtering filtering out the things that you don't exactly. need exactly. because there's so much information coming at us. If we had to pay attention to everything, we'd just go bananas. Exactly. Yeah. But that's such a great mechanism in our brain. And, it, and for you and your business, that's serving you well. Unfortunately, George Floyd's death Shined a spotlight in what's always been happening consistently throughout our, our, our country. But um, now it's serving you and your business well mm-hmm. and allowing you to really shine a light on something that needed a light shined on for a while. So what kind of stuff, what kind of offers, what kind of, why is your phone blowing up, what are people asking you, what, what is the media asking you? To, to talk about as a cop or as a black man
0: both both um so i think one of the things that makes my business unique is that you know i i come in and come in, in the middle because i came in from somebody that didn't like police officers so i understand that side of it i come in as a black man in america i understand that side of it but now i'm a police officer and so there have been situations that i've been put in that if you look at it just a video that I posted it's not going to give you the full context and people would be bashing me based off of a short 20 second video. So I see that part of it. And so I think people, because I've always been neutral on it, you know, and I can see both sides of it, I think that's why people want to come to me because they know they're going to get a fair shake. And so that was important for me. That was important for my audience. And I think that's why people are coming to us knowing that, like, hey, Ryan's gonna give me a fair shake. And one of the things I want to highlight too is, you know, we're looking at protests and we're looking at, you know, you know, people being businesses being looted and just all this division in our country. And one of the things that I can't stand the most is that you have all these people that give lip service on social media, like all this lip service, like, oh, this needs to be done, or justice for George Floyd, which I'm all about. You got the hashtags going around. But my point is, is that in two months, when all this is, you know, when the next big headline comes out, whatever that headline is gonna be, how many of these people are actually going to forget about George Floyd? A majority of them probably are. Yep. A majority of them are probably going to forget about the movement. So the cool thing that I want to highlight, the, the hope that I want to bring to this, and if you're an entrepreneur out there listening to this, is that real t- real protest comes in entrepreneurship in many ways. Because you know when you go out as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, and you start creating a solution for a problem, that's where the real protest comes. The real protest isn't necessarily a hashtag. That's going to fall on deaf ears many times. And so I've been about you know, all this business for five years and I've been consistent because I saw a plan. And I've been attacked from both sides. I've been attacked from officers and I've been attacked from the community. But I think as people are starting to see the need, I think now more people are starting to see the globalized vision that I had from day one. Like mm-hmm. my son wants to be an officer so bad, like my oldest son. Like, that's all he wants to do. He's a six-year-old? Yeah, he's a six-year-old. Like, way different than what I ever was. Like, all he does, every morning we wake up, he he has a freaking police uniform on, he's walking around the house with a freaking gun on his hip, like a little play gun on his hip. Like, that's all he wants to do, right? That's cool. So, but we're living in trying times as a profession. So, my grandfather would always tell me, like, Ryan, when you walk into a room, when you leave that room, make sure that room is in better condition when you leave than Mm -hmm. when it was when you got in. I look at that the same way as my profession, is like, when i get out of this profession if if he wants to go into it i better make sure this profession is a lot better than what it was when i got in and so i've had that globalized approach and so i think as people sometimes we just have this you know this this short-sighted view on things a perspective that because in that short-sighted view sometimes only is you thinking about yourself and yeah. your own, what like what's in it for me. It's, it's immediate gratification, because
1: most of us want to know like, what could I do to feel better now? What could mm-hmm. I eat to, to feel better now? Could I sleep longer to feel better now? Could I just watch one more show to get that dopamine hit? Yeah. But what if you take the long approach, the long game, and you say, you know what, I'm gonna delay gratification, yeah. and I'm gonna work hard and maybe stand up against cops who are crooked and society who just paints us with with one brush, brush, a broad brush, so that if my son wants to be a cop, or any young son wants to be a cop in the future, I leave this industry better than I found it.
0: Exactly, exactly, and that's that's what my whole that's what my whole uh, aura is. And like I said, I asked God from the beginning, like God, if this is what you want me to do, if you want me to be a police officer, then show me why. Because honestly, man, to be honest with you, be like I still didn't know I wanted to be a cop even when I became a cop, like. I went to so let me go back real quick. I when I, I prayed about it, I said, God, if this is what you want what you want me to do, open the door, if not close the door. God like opened the doors tremendously because like a lot of people don't realize it takes a lot to get hired in this profession. Like there's extensive background checks that go on. And they did mine in like three months. And a lot of times when you go into the profession, you have to choose or you don't get to choose where you want to work. Like you take the first offer that comes at you. I actually had had the opportunity to choose where I wanted to work. So that was a sign. Then I went to the academy, and out of a class of about 47 people, I finished number two overall. I missed number one by like .04%. Like one more question, I would have been finished number one. And the only reason I wanted to get number one is because they give you a cool gun. But um, I'm going to ask a dumb question. Like a real gun? Yeah, like a real gun. Oh, yeah, like it's pretty. It's like a freaking sweet revolver. I was like, "Oh man!" So I was on stage. Like we're at our graduation, and I'm all all bitter and stuff like that. (laughs) They're like, "Dude's getting his gun." I'm like, "Yeah." I would have totally tried harder for for a gun. Yeah, for you. For you. Like so. So yeah. So I, I do really well in the academy, and mind you, at the academy, the first week I started the academy is when I had my first son, my first child. So I was like, we started the Academy Monday. My wife's water broke on Friday, and we had our son Saturday, and I was back at the Academy Monday morning. Damn. And so I didn't really even have time to adapt to being a new father. So, But God still prevailed. I went through, and I did really well at the Academy, got out of the Academy, went into field training program, which is another six to seven months, and that's where you actually learn how to do the job. And I, at that point in time, I remember driving around and pulling people over, and I was like, man, like, I don't like this feeling, like. I feel like I'm messing with every single person I'm pulling over like I don't like this so then it wasn't until I got off of training that I realized like there was a genuine need for law enforcement and so um that's when you know shortly after that was when Ferguson happened so like the last time we saw this when Michael Brown was killed by a cop and my mom was like hey what would my son have done if he was that officer in that Michael Brown situation and she was like after thinking about it my son's uh a great son a loving husband all this other stuff he probably would have did the exact same thing and it was that was the light bulb moment for me that's when i saw like wow like the only reason my mom is saying that is because i'm her son we were not a pro-police family growing up it wasn't like we were like f the popo like that wasn't our mentality but we were not pro-police right and so When she said that, it was profound for me because I was like, the only reason she's saying that is because her pumpkin, because she calls me Pumpkin, her pumpkin is the popo now. Right, right. So that's when I was like, you know what? pumpkin can't do anything wrong. Exactly. All of our moms are the same way. Exactly. So that was a problem. And then that was the solution. And that's when Breaking Barriers United was founded because I said, you know what? I need to go out there and show the world that I'm just a regular human being, and I'm gonna be myself doing it, and I'm not gonna change for nobody. So I still wear my jays everywhere I go, and my my fitted hat. I mean, you know, I walked in this morning and saw my my guy Billy got a fitted hat. I was a little jealous. I was like, man, you know what I mean? So, but that's my mentality. I'm not gonna change. L- let me ask you something.
1: You you have been a cop for how long? Six years. Uh, six one on seven years. That's not a long time. No. No. What gives you the balls to then go? I'm going to create this Breaking Barriers United, knowing that it's going to create some waves, not only in the cop community, police community, but also
0: with society and in, it in, did. So, general. Uh, so I I created Breaking Barriers United a year and a half on, and one it was my faith in Jesus Christ. That's the first thing. Second thing was I knew like I've always been like one of those guys being an athlete. I grew up as as an athlete, so I played college football. On a, at a Division One level, my I've always been a competitor growing up. So just because you put some pressure on me doesn't like the the more pressure you put on me, the more I'm gonna go. And that was just that like you know you talk about the book Relentless and just that that mentality of you know the cleaners. Yep, and, and, just, and as Tim Grover says, the author of that book, pressure is a privilege. Yes, it is. And so for me. I embraced it and and that's why I, you know Kobe Bryant was one of my favorite basketball players ever and then after reading that book Relentless I realized like Kobe Mike and Dwayne Wade all those guys they all had that same relentless men- mentality Kobe just coined the phrase of Mamba mentality they coined that for him but it was mm-hmm. the same mentality so that's kind of what sparked it for me and I was like you know what I'm going to go out and do it because it's the right thing to do and that's what I realized as an entrepreneur like you know, I live by three standards. Is it moral? Is it ethical? And is it safe? And if it meets those three criteria, I'm gonna do it. And so that's what kind of started getting me beyond the barriers that I had to push through. And mind you, man, like B, the first few years of my career, as much as they were a success, outward looking, I mean, I got awards, beat Cop of the Quarter, like six months on the job. I was awarded, I was nominated Officer of the Year the first year on the job. I got, you know, officer, I was awarded officer of the year, two and a half years on the job. Um, I was getting accolades left and right, and people were upset at me and angry. And it wasn't stuff that I was out there seeking, like, hey, man, give me officer of the year, vote for me. Right. It was just my mentality, my drive. But people were trying to portray it to me, like, as if, like, I'm trying to be some freaking, you know, who I think I am. Yeah. You know, what do you, and so that's let, I faced let, a lot of pressure. Like
1: let, that. Let's hit two things here real quick, um, two, two very important things for for our audience guys and gals if you guys are watching this listening to this i don't know if you're on youtube or if you're on any of the uh the podcast platforms one if you wait till you think you're fully ready you're never going to launch period a year and a half into being a police officer you're like this is what my heart mm-hmm. says i need to be doing yep i've talked to jesus about it yep and he's on board are oh, we good by <laughs> me, god i'm me, pulling the me trigger man oh, yeah. good <laughs> right yeah
0: and, and you go back and it's funny because Going back to those failures that I had yeah. earlier, and I'm not gonna tell y'all my business ideas because if y'all watch, how much I might try to steal them. I still might come back to those, <laughs> but those failures I had, I realized. You crack me up. I realized, like, man, like, for such a time as this, like, this is those failures led to this. Yeah. And now I see my true need and true calling. Yeah. So, but I mean, think, think about this, right? Like,
1: how many people, it, whatever the industry, but I'm gonna use policing as an example. But let's talk veterinary. Let's talk civil engineering let's talk whatever might be like man i'm just a year and i'm, I'm a puppy you're a puppy a year and a half into the policing space right and there's clearly people that have seen more action than you that have had more experience time under the badge than you who like your self-talk could have been uh maybe someone else should be doing this maybe someone else who's got more experience more time under their belt more whatever But instead, you came up with the idea, you pulled the trigger because you knew that you're the guy that's gonna do it. And I see so many people leaving money on the table, leaving impact and meaning on the table, and then ultimately are gonna regret it because they're waiting for the right time, experience, the right partner to come along, the right person to tell them, you got this, you can do it, and unfortunately, You're not gonna find the right time. You're never gonna have all the right information. You're never gonna be fully experienced until you're dead. I I think like the idea is that we're gonna peak right when we die. If you're peaking in your 30s or 40s, like (laughs) I feel bad for you. You you should peak right when you're about to die at 100 years old. So that's thing number one. Thing number two that I caught real quick, and as our friend Ed Ed Milet always says, some of the best lessons are not taught, they're caught. Mm -hmm. And that is that you treat your profession as a cop, and your business as an entrepreneur, as a sport. Yes. That's exactly how I treat this franchise.
0: It's a fucking sport it and is. I must win. And it I must is. be competitive and I must be the best at it. Let me ask you this real quick. So, because you go back to the, um, I came up with a year and a half of the mentality. I always tell this to people. So the question would be, is like, if you take the NFL, for example, you have a guy that's been there for 10 or 15 years. And then what... Every April, every, every April, February, right on that time, we have the NFL draft. And they're going to go out there and get the best talent. When they get that best talent and when they acquire that best talent, do they draft him to put him on the bench or do they draft him to play? To play. Without a doubt, right? So even though he's a rookie in the NFL, they expect him to play. And that vet, do you think that vet is chilling knowing he's comfortable or do you think that vet is nervous like, oh, shoot, like, that might be my replacement yes and so that's always been my mentality and for some reason and it's not just in law enforcement it's just in general whatever profession you go on we get comfortable Mm -hmm. and you get to that point where like you we start associating maturity your experience with time on and it doesn't always equate most times it doesn't equate it does there are some good things that come with time on without a doubt there's just certain things that you're going to experience with time on without a doubt but don't get it twisted and don't start thinking just because you got 15 years in the business, all of a sudden that makes me qualified the expert, as the expert. Bingo. So, you know, me, I came in with that mentality like, man, like you you come in drafted number one, like I'm expected to produce. I'm expected to play. I'm expected to do what they brought me in here to do. And that's how I've always treated my life. And I think because of that, because of my drive, that's what continues to move me forward. And there's people that don't come with me. And there's no harm, no foul. Like, hey man, I still love you, we'll still roll together, but I'm not gonna stop. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just that mentality, like I, there is no stopping. And there have been tried to people that have been, Lord knows my story, there have been people to try to throw kinks and curveballs. Billy can tell you, even with our social media platforms, they will try to throw wrenches, but I will find another way to do it. So help me God.
1: <laughs> bam, bam, I love that. So,
0: so as, as you
1: take on these speaking gigs, because you speak at universities, you speak at high schools, and you do such a great job at speaking to the young kids that might have a different narrative Mm -hmm. about police officers, just like you did, Mm -hmm. right? Part of that narrative comes from, well, man, I heard how they treated my uncles and my aunts and my cousins. So you just kind of hear things around the house. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that changes a kid's narrative, right? That did with you. It did, for sure. And then part of it is personal experience. Mm -hmm. you know. You're a black dude driving your Mustang. Uh, you know, you, you got to chill, so you got to drop that seat back. And you got your <laughs> on, and you're chatting it up on the phone. And a cop could approach you a couple different ways. Yeah. Like, hey, buddy, can you uh, just be safe and put that phone down? Or, hey, put your fucking phone down and da-da-da-da-da, yeah. right? So mm-hmm. two very different, like, I have respect for that cop or I don't have respect exactly. for that cop. And that, again, as humans, we tend to broad stroke a lot of things. Like, I had a bad experience. I didn't, but I will like, I had a bad experience with the cop, but I had it because I was running away from the cops and they, they caught
0: me. <laughs> have I told, you for getting caught. <laughs> have, I, have I told you that story? I think I heard it on one of your
1: podcasts. Yeah, man. I, I, so I had a 79 to pick up. I was 19 years old. Uh, my friends, the, we started off tagging. And it wasn't, wasn't like gang tagging. Like tagging was like yeah, in, yeah. in my generation. That uh, was a thing. Yeah, it was a thing, man. It was an artistic expression, yeah. right? Where there was like tagging crews, but then the, someone would have a house party and all the crews would come <laughs> together and, and enjoy each other. You yeah. Know what yeah. I mean, we'd have, we'd have, fights would break out, but you know, it wasn't, no one's shooting anyway. Yeah. Uh, and um, so tagging leads to somehow w- one of my buddies figuring out that, hey, this guy's house is empty. No one's home right now. Let's go break in. And so... I was the only one that had a car. I had a '79 Toyota pickup with a camper shell on it. Yeah. So one guy would sit next to me, and the rest of the dudes would sit in the back of it, right? And then, so I was a getaway driver. <laughs> and uh, but a '79 Toyota pickup, bro, four-cylinder engine. It's like, boom, boom, you know, boom, like, boom. yeah, it, that thing was going nowhere. So we did a few home invasion robberies well, I, I guess home break-ins. It wasn't an invasion, you knock on the door a few times, you check the back door, front door, side door, <laughs> look through the windows, you knock really hard, make sure if someone's sleeping, you wake them up. I shouldn't be teaching people how to. I love,
0: I love I'm taking notes over your life. So this is how they do oh, it. Oh, you probably heard, you know the strategy, yeah, yeah.
1: But yeah, you do gotta knock really yeah. hard to make sure if someone's sleeping, you get their attention, because you want the house to be empty. Yeah. So apparently this particular house, after several times doing it, this particular house, the dudes were convinced that it was empty, so they, you, know, you turn around, you mule kick the door, and uh, they go in, and it turns out it probably a deaf old lady lived in there, the poor lady. And So I'm in the car waiting, and I see the mule kick, and um, I'm across the street in the car, got the car on. And then within seconds, they turn back and run. I'm like, what the fuck happened? <laughs> <laughs> that happened? <be> yeah. Cool. <laughs> and like, go, go, go. And as I start driving, and as it turns out, there was a lady in there. She probably just didn't hear all the yeah, knocking yeah, and the yeah, commotions, yeah. this older lady. But anyway anaheim police department uh so i see like unmarked cars and i'm like oh fuck this isn't good so i'm gonna make a right hand turn onto la palma i'm going down magnolia and i see now a helicopter i'm like oh this isn't good i gotta <laughs> outrun the helicopter in the 79 toyota pickup let me just tell you guys this and this is in the 90s bro like the car is old right it's over a decade old and uh oh, this is embarrassing and it was bright yellow no, this is bright, bright yellow this is but it's all content. i could afford at the time great content yeah yeah and uh and, and I share this with you because the only bad experience I had with a cop was when obviously I couldn't get away. So I'm like, fellas, I'm gonna pull into the ARCO. We're all gonna fucking spread out. And that's the only way where some of us are gonna be able to get away. Man, they parked so close to my fucking doors, but I couldn't even open the doors. and I, <laughs> I, could, I was pulled out so fast through the window and there was a boot on my back. Like, I don't even know what happened. Yeah. Right? Anyway, so the cop, like, and the helicopter goes away, but the old, they bring the old lady and she's able to point out yeah, I did the to dudes. You guys. Yeah, but since I was in the car, you were alive. Yeah, she pretty much <laughs> looks at me and is like, I have no idea who, who, who he is, handsome dude, but I have no idea who he <laughs> is, right? And so my dude, my friends got in trouble and I didn't. And I was like, oh, this, this is like a sign yeah. from above, I'm changing gears here, yeah. I'm changing gears. And that, that was the beginning of me changing gears in my life. But, uh, but that was my only bad experience w- w- with a cop and I share that because so many people have had bad experiences with cops, especially if they're black, if they're a person of color, Hispanic, and it's easy to take broad strokes with with that um and and and, but i want to go back to something you talked about er earlier which we never got to you you know you didn't have the highest appreciation for cops but what made you decide to be a cop was it like all other roads were financial roads were turning dry and you're like i'm going to be a cop because i'll get
0: paid so no so my, my dad's best friend was a captain for a local police department and he was like trying to recruit me for like two years Okay. And he was like, "Hey, you should be a cop. You should be a cop." And like I said, like my mentality was like, "No, not about to be the popo. Not about to be the man. Like that's not what I'm to do." And at the time, my wife had ended up getting so, so two years later, uh, and it was funny because he was a black guy, and I'll never forget like he, his recruitment tactics were flawless. <laughs> he, uh, my, he went to. He was like, "Hey, you want to come to lunch with me and your dad?" And I was like, "Oh yeah, that's fine." So what I'll did go. your dad do? My dad, so my dad worked at the high school that I actually went to, and he did all, like, my dad freaking did everything. He did the a, He did the AV, and then he was on the water board, and he's on the planning commission, and then he, like, my dad did freaking everything. And Got I it. think I take a lot of traits after my dad. So he was a civil servant as well. Yes. Yeah, in many ways. So he worked for the school district. My mom worked in the banking industry. And so this day he takes, you know, he's like, yeah, come to lunch with us. So we go to lunch, and... You know, I'm just thinking it's me and my dad. Who's got the green eyes in your family? My uh, uh, great-grandmother, no, my grandmother and my great-grandfather on my dad's side. So, great-grandfather on my dad's side and my grandmother on my mom's side.
1: I'm not going to ask you to go into any stories, but I could just imagine the game you had pre-marriage. Hey, hey, hey. In case your wife watches. Hey, hey. And then go on. Go on. So, he's like, hey, go to lunch with me go
0: to lunch. So, I go to lunch, and then when I go to lunch... you know, this one, you know, black officer walks in a uniform, and I'm just thinking, oh, okay, cool, you know, and it's like a soul food restaurant, so like, in some of my favorite food is like soul food, so like fried catfish, like collard green, all that stuff. So I see this guy, a black guy walks in, I'm like, oh, okay, cool. So the guy that I'm with, you know, he's like, hey, his name is Dexter, he's like, Dexter's like, hey, how you doing? Something is like, oh, it's random, they see each other. So then shortly they after, another, another, another black guy comes in, and I'm like, in uniform, another black police officer, I'm like... Hey, what's going on? So then they just sit down. Like, it's like one of those things. I, in my mind, I'm just thinking, like, oh, they just so happened. This must be the hour they cut right. lunch. So, anyways, we're all eating together. By the time it was all <laughs> said and done, there was like five black police officers. I would officers say it was like there. 30 black police officers trying to tell you on the idea. And they, were not, they weren't just officers, like, they were like chiefs. There was like a chief there, a deputy chief. A captain and then like a line level and then here i am in like my jumpsuit or like my sweatsuit from like college football because i was still living in my college football days had even though i was like three years beyond that i was still living in my college al bundy yeah, yeah yeah right <laughs> you know back in my day back so my day. um they were just trying to sell me on this idea so I, I still wasn't even sold i was like no nah, man i'm not doing that so then fast forward to you was later, your dad trying to get you on, on board with the my dad were? was my dad was just like nah he, he didn't care either way he okay. was like ryan like De- you know, Dexter, he's like, you know, and I love Dexter this day, I appreciate him, and Derek, Derek Williams, he's the chief of police over in Ontario. Those two guys with a few others, um, you know, I, I couldn't thank them more now. So anyways, yeah. fast forward, my wife gets pregnant. At the time I was doing insurance for Primerica, so like, you know, and I learned a lot of lessons doing door-to-door sales, and man, like a lot of people would have a bad experience, I look at those as great, experience. overcoming objections, how to sell people, yes. all that stuff, so. I
1: gotta stop you right there, don't forget, Young guys and gals, if you're in your teens, early 20s, you want to literally be able to print your own money, go door-to-door sales, sell solar, sell insurance, sell the fucking ring doorbell, sell whatever you need to -to
0: door-to-door, deal with so much rejection that you become
1: rejection-proof.
0: Yes, that's exactly what happened. Yes. So I became rejection-proof, but at the time, like, and funny about that is when I got into the insurance business, I did really well within the first... Three or four months like me and my wife won the company trip like my first five six months in the business and we actually used that as part of our, our part of our honeymoon because we didn't really have that much money so it was like to the orlando and all the other stuff but i did really really well there and so what i started to realize is i had you know god had gifted me with the power of influence and so i started influencing people and i started getting over it and i would but it wasn't just my influence i had to put the work in too And so I start studying like I was listening to tracks of overcoming objections and, you know, studying like. But again, going back to the athlete athlete mentality, I was always trying to put in the most work off the field so I can be the best when I got on the field. So long story short, you know, the insurance thing isn't cutting it. My wife is like, hey, I'm working full time, brother. I'm pregnant. And like you at home acting like you are working all the time and really not doing anything. I'm not seeing it in the bank account. Right. So I started praying. I was like, if this is God, if this is what you want me to do, open the doors if not close the doors. And then that's what kind of sparked me to go into law enforcement. And I said, OK, this is I guess I'll try it out. But those gentlemen really did have a big influence. Without a doubt, without a doubt, because I needed to see myself. And that's where right now in law enforcement, some another need, and that goes back to the business that we'll talk about in a minute. But like what, another need in law enforcement right now is we're struggling to recruit new police officers, like recruiting is at an all time low for many reasons. Before obviously COVID, the market was doing super high. So in a a good market, why go put your life on the line? If you can go get another job making just as much money. Another thing, the image, like the perception of law enforcement is debt tarnished. So why would I want to go into a profession where people are going to cuss at me, yell at me, say F-12, all this other stuff. So you have all these things going against us. But most people would see that as like, oh, this is terrible. I saw it as opportunity. I said, look, if I can figure out the need or figure out the problem, I can figure out the solution. Mm. And so looking at those guys that helped me, I'm like, well, shoot, I was able to see myself in them. So if I can get other people to see themselves in me, boom, now you have a solution. And so that's what kind of start the spark of other ideas for my business. And before we go into there, let's talk about
1: this level of self-awareness that you have. The moment I met you, damn, I don't know how we met. It was a
0: mutual friend introduced us. It was, uh, it was, um, uh, my dad's friend, uh, uh, why am I, uh, ah, he's dope. Yes. I
1: put something on social media here in Chino Hills that I was looking for a local cop. I can't say why it has to do with the project. Um, Steve Eli. Yes. Yeah. Yes. He reached out to me. He goes, I love what you're doing with the project. I know the cop. Um, yes. Yeah. And I can't, we can't talk about because then it will ruin the project for men who want to come do it in the future. Yeah um but yeah that's how we met um i don't know where i was going with that
0: self-awareness
1: self-awareness where does this level of self awareness? the moment i met you i was like this cat's self-aware like where does this level of self-awareness come where everyone else might see that man being a cop like half the people hate you immediately when you put on that badge and uniform and people see it as like well, the, again, pre-COVID, the economy is great. I can go get a job making the same amount of money or more without being hated by half the people. But you're like, you know what? Uh, I see opportunity here. I see if half the people hate me, mm-hmm. I see opportunity. I can get If I can get that half to like me, mm-hmm. I can probably make money doing it. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with fixing something that's wrong and making money in the... Process mm-hmm. right? Exactly. I I'm shocked that more cops weren't doing this in the nineties, because in the nineties the same problem existed. Mm-hmm. The same problem existed and no one took the time that I know of to go you know what half the population hates us in communities what if i can actually make money while getting that half to start respecting us and liking Mm -hmm. us humanizing us exactly and so where does that self-awareness come from is this mom and dad
0: taught you is i think it's genetic i think it's i think it's a mixture of a lot of things it's you know my my dna um you know i think that's just one of the things that god has put in my life or created me that way uh, but I think he utilized outside influences like athletics mom and dad my dad was probably one of the most hardest working men I knew and my dad was very self-aware like my dad was one of those guys like if you did something to me I was like oh I'm gonna tell my daddy because my dad was like very self-aware like he, he didn't have no problem coming to cut you out like it was what it does like and so but at the same time if I screwed up he was gonna let me know about it. And he was not one, he's not, it wasn't like one of these newer generation parents that I like to say is that, oh no, my son could do no wrong. Like, no, like, if anything, at first he was like, no, nah, what the heck did you do? Right. And I had to convince him otherwise, like, no, like, uh, I like actually so was you, in the good. Also. A good
1: parent, a good parent goes, you're guilty until you, yeah, exactly, you, until you're innocent. Exactly, exactly. Then I'll go defend you. Yes, yeah, exactly. I'm like so, that with my kids.
0: Yeah, so, so he, so all of these things start developing to the self awareness. And I like, that's a good point you bring up because. You know, I, I I'm not no, I'm not naive to say that racism doesn't exist. It does. If you go down to the South, there's still places and cities right now that to this day are segregated. But unfortunately I know after- a city in, in, in Atlanta. A good friend of mine
1: uh, is from there, Big Rob, in Atlanta, at least up until five years ago, Ryan, there's straight up signs that say if you're black and you're out once it gets dark or something to that effect, like watch out.
0: Yeah. Like, yeah. up, like five yeah. years ago. It could yeah. be up there now. No, it, yeah, there's a bridge in- It's fucking bananas. Uh, yeah, there's a bridge in Georgia right now that says, uh, I'm not going to, it says the N-word, but it says N-word town. And you on one side of the bridge is nothing but black people. On the other side is is all the white people. And th- just, I've read an article like three years ago where they just had their first non-segregated prom in high school. Oh, wow. Just three years ago. That's weird being in California, because- Yeah, because we don't school, know, we, we don't know. Yeah, so anyways, I say, I bring up all this to say is like, you know, as- as African-American, you know, we get in our own way. The one thing each and every single one of us are afforded as human beings in general is the power of choice. We have the choice to make up every day, wake up every day and go do something to further our life. Will you probably be met with rejection? Yes. Will you be met with adversity? Yes. I don't care whether you're white, black, Asian, or whatever. Yeah, maybe if you're a different race, maybe you may not have as much but I still have that opportunity to go out and make myself or make a choice to do good for myself. And so when we get caught up on just oh woe is me mentality like mm-hmm. I can't do anything cuz you're you're putting me down or you're keeping me back, well you're also doing a disservice to yourself because you're b- believing and and feeding what they're saying. So my dad would always tell me like Ryan like you put your pants on just like anybody else. So even when I met you, even when I meet anybody that may have been be somewhere like way where, where I'm trying to get in life, you know, well-established, accomplished. At the back of my mind, I'm like, man, they're no better than I am.
1: Exactly.
0: And and, and, and it may sound like a confident, cocky thing, but for me, it's just in the back of my mind, I'll never forget, there's a, a good speaker of mine, a, a friend of mine, his name is Eric Thomas. And I went to his conference probably like two years ago. And this was a conference, probably about 300 people there. And so, you know, you have this sheep mentality. The majority of those people, they're there, they're entrepreneurs, they're trying to learn, which is great. No knock on them. No, just like no me. joke.
1: I'm on a group text with Eric Thomas, Joel Marion, Ed Milet, and Steve Weatherford. Really? Yeah. Like we just, there's this group text that. that
0: Shoot them a text and tell them that you. Yeah. Yes. Anyways, so I'm in this conference, and so I'm at this conference, and as I'm sitting there, I just all like my, I just think differently. Like as I'm sitting in the conference, I'm thinking like, man, everybody's here trying to figure out getting nuggets of how they can be better. Yeah. But in this conference, I'm thinking like, man, how can I get. To be on the stage where he's at and have all these people at my conference. So a year after that, I started in my. I bought the biggest ticket and invest in yourself. That's another invest in yourself. Good words. So I bought the biggest ticket. There was a ticket for like fifteen hundred dollars. Most people would say, "Oh man, I don't got that money." No. That ticket was an opportunity for me and like ten or other ten or fifteen others to go and sit down to eat dinner with ET after this. So we sat. A- ate uh, broke bread, not only did I meet ET, I met a whole bunch of his other group guys that, that are now mentors of mine. And so fast forward a year later, we host my own conference for Breaking Barriers United. Never held a conference in my life. I probably lost about five years of my life freaking planning that conference yeah. and my wife. But anyways, I was like, you know, I'm gonna get some of the best speakers. Why not get the be- one of the best speakers that I know of to come out? So I went out and created the opportunity to speak on the same stage as one of the number one motivational speakers in the world. Whereas most people would say, man, I just wanna be in the lineup, or man, how can I get there? I'm like, I wanna go create this opportunity. So when we wanna say racism exists, yes, it does exist, but what are you gonna to do to create your own opportunity to go out there and have the same success that anybody else has afforded? Bingo. And
1: let's bring that full circle for a moment. And this is the beef that I had with everyone posting up black tiles on Instagram mm-hmm. the other day. And I know we started off with this and I still have a few more questions to ask and we'll dive back into business again. Um, hey, that's great. Put up your black tile on Instagram. Let's, mm-hmm. let's raise awareness. But as you said earlier, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Mm-hmm. Like November is a few months away. We can vote for police chiefs. We can vote for assemblymen. We can vote senators, congresspeople, president. Like we can, we have a, a lot of power. And then if you're a person of influence, you have responsibility uh, uh, Exactly. You have a social duty and a responsibility to if you put up a black tile, you better start literally influencing the people that you have a voice over and say, here's how you should vote if you don't want racism, bigotry, taxes, whatever your thing is that you don't want to continue. Because when I look at and again, I'm not uh, I'm I'm so pro guns, I just love guns. <laughs> you been know, uh, on me right now. <laughs> yeah. that that when I look at someone like Nancy Pelosi, who's been in power for forty years, yet nothing has changed. And we just have more and more rights in California getting eroded because of and and like maybe we need to stop revoting for the same people and consider really changing instead of just putting up a black tile and moving on. because I sure and, and you said earlier, you're like, hey, people talk about it because George Floyd died, but then it's going to go away. And proof of that is, Did we just, Ryan, did we just cure COVID in one week?
0: Hey, I ain't seen. Why the fuck are we not talking about COVID, Billy? (laughs) (laughs) With the exception of the guy that asked me where my mask was at. Except that that guy. But but seriously,
1: everybody was dying. People were dying. Ventilators, fucking Ford and Chevy are making ventilators. Fuck the trucks. (laughs) Let's make ventilators. (laughs) Let's get cops to start making ventilators. Everyone's making ventilators. People are dying. Uh, Now, no one's talking about COVID, man. No, I, I had to no. turn my iPhone off and then turn it back on. I was like, maybe my iPhone news, my Apple news isn't working right because all I see is
0: buildings and towns burning and no one's talking about the COVID virus. And that's what's so frustrating because it's- this We forget things me- like We this. forget it and it's this sheep mentality. So I posted a black towel with a cross on it. But the thing, and I told somebody this, I was like, I can do that because I'm putting in the work to right. make sure I repair what's going on. Yeah. And I'm not trying to sit here and say that everybody has- an obligation to go out there and start a business like I'm doing, like that, that's not that's not realistic. But what I'm saying is, is we can do things as simple as vote. We can do things as simple as show up to your local town hall meetings. One of the most frustrating things was this for me is, so I, I was a school resource officer, and about six months ago, there was a young boy that lost his life to bullying at a fight. He basically, these kids, they tag teamed him, they punched him in the face. I think he was like, I wanna say he was like 12 years old, maybe younger than that. The kid hits the wall going down. He hits his head on oh, the wall. Come on, man! And then he—they end, end up killing the kid. So this happened in the city that I lived in at the time. So I go—not even at like this was not in my. This was not part of my obligation as a police officer. I didn't go there in honor of like or representing the, the agency I work for. I went there as my as a parent of two boys and a young daughter. And I'm sitting there in this town hall meeting, and it's freaking packed, like walls and this and that. And everybody's in this town hall meeting like, what are you going to do? And I, I'm looking at the, as I'm in there, I'm looking at the principal of the school and his tie seems like it's getting tighter and tighter and tighter. His, his face is getting red because he didn't have answers. Then they're like, then they look at this, the people at the school board. What are you going to do? This is your fault. This is your fault. Then they're like, then they start arguing with each other. So finally I, I grab the mic and I'm like, all I keep seeing right now is pointing and blame on people. And nobody and everybody that's pointing the blame has no idea what it takes to be a principal mm. They have no idea what it takes to be an administrator. Where were you at five or six months ago at the school? when We were talking about bullying like where were you at when we did the town hall meeting just to get ahead of this? And we only have five people in the audience people only show up when it's convenient to and then they leave when it's not yeah. and that's What's so frustrating is because I'm in there and I've done I speak all over the country and That's powerful. You, it, what's crazy is I'll go to some of these town hall meetings with parents and you'll have six parents show up. You'll have six parents show up. And then and unfortunately in the African American community sometimes it's frustrating as me because I am African American and yes, I am full black for those of you guys that are wondering because I get that all the time. Oh, you're not even full black. Both of my parents are black and it shouldn't even matter but I say it because I've gotten that before. But in the African American <laughs> community, that we have a tendency a to want all these problems or want to get all these problems uh, solved and want to get all these problems, you know, uh, you know, rid of get rid of all these problems, but yet we don't show up to the things that are easy to do. Mm. We don't go it, it takes you an hour out of your day to go to the town hall meeting for your son to see what he's doing in school. That's, that's the It point. takes you 15 minutes to just check up on your son and see how he's doing in the morning time. And so, I'm not trying to sit here and say I'm on some pedestal. I'm not trying to say I'm better than the average person. I'm not but I'm just aware of what needs to be done to provide solutions. So when I put up a black tile on my thing, I put up a black tile because I know that once this black pile comes down, I'm also gonna show, gonna go do the work. Well, you did the work beforehand. You're gonna do the work and I'm gonna continue to do it. And we put up a video, the video, the day after the video, or the day after I put up that black tile, I put up a video on my social media page was when I got, uh, Fox 11 did a news piece on me and it really broke down everything that I'm about. And I did that on purpose because I wanted people to see the actual work that I actually do mm-hmm. for the situation that we're in right now. Let's let's let's. Uh, there's a lot to unpack here. Yeah, my bad. I, no, I, no, no, yeah. no, 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 no. <laughs> I, I,
1: I take great mental notes, so we're good here. Um, your speaking events. You're a full-time cop. Mm-hmm. Just the other day you texted, was it yet? 2 days ago, you texted me you're like, "Hey, I'm in front of BK's train." I'm <laughs> like, "Hey, the family and I are driving there, don't leave." And like you were literally in a in a, in a squad car. Yep. Right? Um, and so you sound like you work part-time. No, I'm a full-time cop. You're a full-time cop. It's my first job. So, let's break the myth of people who say I have a full-time job, how can I have a side hustle, let alone a full-on Business that you're starting that involves, by the way, it's not, you're not just behind the computer typing shit. No, you have to get on a plane, stay at hotels at different places, like prepare speeches. Yep. Right? Yep. That in itself is a full time yep venture. I know that. Yep. <laughs> so how do you
0: make the time to do this, Ryan? But you also have three kids and a wife. Yes, I do. Just bit time management, and um, you know, and and listening to the people. Like, so when people, if you're listening to this this podcast, don't just listen just to listen listen intentionally. Like every person I listen to, whether it's you, whether it's E.T., whoever it may be, Tim Grover, I listen with intent and I try to, even if it's one thing that I take away from it, how can I apply it to my life and go out and do it? But again, it goes back to that athletic side of me because when I practice, there was intent behind the practice and that was so I played good. We have a tendency to fall into, you know, I'm going to listen and it makes me feel good. It's that you know, immediate self-gratification made me feel good. Mm-hmm. But okay, what are you going to do? It's almost like in my spiritual life. Like, you know, one of the things about being a Christian guy for me is like, you know, you, I've talked to people before and there's like, there's a lot of hypocrite, a lot of hypocrisy in Christianity. And I understand that because there is very, very true. So my point is, is that In my spiritual life, I, at the same time, when I'm taking notes, when I'm reading the Bible or doing taking mental notes, I better make sure I be applying that as well in public because people fall away from that because of the hypocrisy in it. And so this consistency, this intentional, this intentional mindset I have, it goes throughout every layer layer of my life. And you're right, man. Like right now, if I turn on my phone, I have been my phone's been blowing up since I've been here. I got 414 unread text messages. And I'm not even trying to sit there and say like, oh man, like oh look at me, like no, I got 414. Hours. I don't know how many emails. Well, I feel like. honored that you get back to me immediately when I text. Well, you. Well, there's certain Thank people I put in. There's certain people that tried take precedence in my life. And so Billy's another one. It's funny. Billy shared a story with me yesterday, and you know this is gonna be funny, but we he I called him and then you know, we were talking for a few minutes, talking about today or whatever. And then he, he texted me after and he was like, hey man, my wife was like, hey, when, I, when he answered the phone, he went to the, the, the bedroom and got on the phone like he was talking to his girlfriend on the yeah, bed. Yeah, so yeah, like,
1: yeah like he, he's the other
0: woman. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, was like, I, was, woman. I was like, tell her don't be jealous. But, yeah. <laughs> but there are certain people, my wife, obviously she's at the top of the list and so, yeah. but either way, as long as you, you time manage, as long as you're, and, and also it comes back to how much do you really care about it?
1: Bingo, bingo. You find time for the things you prioritize, that you see value in, and then you find excuses for the things that you don't. Mm-hmm. Period, and and that's the big thing that I want to stress. And so this not only is another revenue stream for you when you go up and speak, mm-hmm. right? You yeah. got a speaking fee for it, uh, but now you're creating something for, I guess, what's the word, a young would be police officers, yeah. right? You're so, creating another platform. Yeah. Well, tell so me without about
0: getting into all the specifics of it, because I don't want some of y'all to come out there and steal my stuff. But there's a need, like I said earlier, there's a need for recruiting. There's a need to identify good applicants. George Floyd only emphasized the need for getting good quality applicants. I, another thing I always say is like, you know, when it, go, it comes to you know, this priorities that we have as a country, there's this thing going around defund police. I'm like, that's the stupidest thing that we can say. Like, why would you want to defund police? Like, people act like they can live a life without police. We saw in COVID. Think about the first two weeks of COVID, what people were doing at grocery stores. Yep. People were acting freaking crazy. It was like a movie. So if we want to sit here and, and live in this, re, uh, this false reality that we don't need police. We're freaking dumb. Second of all, the thing that if you want to, why would you want to defund somebody that could have your life at their hands? Like... Why would you want to take money and resources away from the person who's like your life may be in the hands of? Like, so if we I, I remember living in Vegas and I love Vegas and, you know, about the time was going out all the time. And I found out DJs were making like three hundred thousand dollars a night to spend to, to like to, to play music. I'm like, they made three hundred grand to play music. I was like, but yet you want to take money out of the, the hands of somebody that could potentially kill you. So you wanna say, oh, you know what? Oh, these officers are under trained. These officers, you know, they need more certification. But yet you don't want to put money into the pro into the pockets of where that training is gonna go. Like we're so confused in so many ways because it sounds popular. It's popular not to like police. It's popular to say, like, I'm all about if you stand by Black Lives Matter and and that's your platform, I'm all about it if if you really see there's a need, but my thing is just don't do it because it's popular and that's what social media unfortunately has created is we do things because it's popular and that's why I've gone back to say like if you have influence on social media you have responsibility yeah whether you like it or not you have a responsibility and 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 if you don't like it then get off of it
1: really good point and so this is going to go right back to your self awareness and one, you were like, hey, ha- half the population, on-, on average, from the stats I've read, and you probably know the stats better, like w- I-, I read one stat that was just shocking. It said the moment a man or woman puts on the badge, half the people in that city hate them, half the people in that city love them, right? Mm-hmm. And so you're like, well, shoot, I got half the people in any given city whose minds I can change, who I can influence, mm-hmm. who, and, and you were again self-aware enough to remember that wait a minute i was young and i had an impression about cops that some cops were assholes Mm -hmm. some most weren't Mm -hmm. and so you found an opportunity to create money and to create change there and then now again without going into great details you're finding opportunity that hey cops need more training and if i could be the source of that training i could make money and police departments might be more likely to hire these young men and women who have gone through my training, mm-hmm. because they are less of a risk to the department and the city they work for.
0: One hundred percent. If somebody still tries to steal my stuff, I'm coming
1: after you. And I'm gonna back him up. <laughs> and I ain't got a gun, but I could fight like a motherfucker. <laughs> um, like that. It's 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 problem solution. All of life is problem solution, man. And I just love that mentality. And I want to share this again with the audience. Full time cop, full time parent. <sighs> Has a speaking events that he does and bringing communities together, and now launching another platform. And if that's not time management, if that's not energy management, that's not resource management. And if he said it best, paying for knowledge, you know, buying that fifteen hundred dollar ticket, knowing that you're going to have access. Because most people go, well, I can't afford that fifteen hundred bucks. Pete, you're going to spend that fifteen hundred bucks off your credit card no matter what. Is it going to be for a shitty vacation that you're only going to have memories <laughs> and regret about, or is it going to be $1,500 spent to make a connection network that's exactly. going to... Exposure. Right? Exposure. We, we fail because we don't have exposure a lot of times. Yeah. So that's great entrepreneurship lessons there from you. And to treat every single job or business that you launch as a sport, like be competitive, be athletic in it. But that said, you said something in the very beginning, and I want to come back to it. You said, uh, most of my friends that I grew up with, and you said most, Ryan, mm-hmm. most of my friends that I grew up with didn't have both parents. Mm-hmm.
0: Were most of your friends black, or were you saying most of my friends? No, so general? no, so um, growing up, most of my friends were black. Um, and when I went to Vegas, obviously, um, I started getting you know friends from different nationalities, stuff because it's you're from all over the world. But yeah, most of my friends growing are growing up. Most of my friends didn't either have both parents in their their life. If they did, it might have been you know step or something like that, and. You know, I, I never forget, man. I, I, uh, when I initially became a police officer, uh, I went down to the jail to take somebody to jail. And I saw this, uh, when I got there, I saw this guy that I, I knew immediately. I was like, man, like that's my boy I grew up with. And he was in his uniform, I was in my uniform. He was in an orange uniform, I was in a black uniform. Oh shit, okay. <laughs>
1: I'm thinking like he was like yeah. a guard or something. No, no. Okay, you got me there. Yeah,
0: I know, that's, that was my point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So so yeah, so he's in there. So I. You know, I say what's up to him, and that's I think one of the reasons why, um, you know, I stand by everything I everything I preach. If you came on a ride along with me today, you'd be like, man, this dude everything he says he actually does in the public. So I still treat folks with respect. And which, by the way, Joan, can you
1: set up a ride along? We go make which, it happen. Yeah, we we keep talking about it. Yes, we gonna make it happen. Yeah. yeah. And so, now, now, I don't know if you guys can go now, but now would be a great time. Like in this oh, yeah. time of,
0: yeah, exactly. So so we had uh, so. Anyways, I saw him and I recognized, man, this was one of my childhood friends. Like. Grew up with him, knew his mom all that's like real close and uh, I went back to the uh, I went back to the uh, The computer to look up what he was in there for he was in there for murder And so I was like golly and that wasn't the first person I saw then I saw another person like that was in there you know um, for uh, he was just strung out on drugs and so like I've had, in a short period of time in my life, my dad all, had a conversation with me, he said, Ryan, when you get older, some people are gonna go get married, some people are gonna have big businesses, some people are gonna be very, very successful, but then you're gonna have those that get strung out on drugs, some that get killed, some that you know die of or suicide. And at the time, I was like, yeah, whatever, Pops, or whatever, it's like, you, you can't say anything. Right. He was so right, and like in the short, of, a short period from high school to college, I probably lost about 15 to 20 of my friends. I've had friends murdered. I had a, my buddy of mine was shot five times in his driveway. I had a friend. I had a buddy of mine that was beat to death by one of his friends because he was trying to protect that guy's girlfriend. He was trying to protect his girlfriend that he was beating up. Then I had multiple friends die in car accidents. I've had multiple friends die of suicide in a short period of time of my life. And so going back to your original question of like, you know, how I grew up in. You know, whether or not that plays a part in our society, it does tremendously. Like one of the things I hate, go back to COVID-19. You know, in COVID-19, everybody was like, oh, you know what? You got to stay inside. You got to wash everything down, get Clorox, wipe everything down. Instead of getting to the root of the issue, most of the people dying from COVID-19 were had high blood pressure, were either diabetic or whatever. So why Overweight? We, overweight. So why are we not telling people to work out? Why are we not telling people, hey, well, that might
1: offend them. Hey, you're you're, exactly like, oh, you're fat shaming. No, I'm trying to save your fucking life. Go
0: get it. Go get a gym membership. Go do something because that is the root of the issue. So the same thing as a country, when we talk about why are we so divided? Well, we got to go way back. Like we can't just say like, hey, we're here because of whatever happened last week. No, go way back to the home. We're here because somebody grew up in a single parent home somebody was raised with only a mom somebody was raised with only a dad like that really does play a part in the way kids are raised and i can say that because i spent not only my childhood and my experiences but i spent a year and a half working as a school research officer and i have some of those craziest stories dealing with these kids at the school and the stories that they would tell me and i would see where they come from and i'm like wow like this is this is some real stuff so that's why that, that question that you asked about being coming from a single parent home plays so true. So let's talk about that for a moment. And
1: um, all I know is how to be transparent and mm-hmm. authentic. So I'm gonna be exactly as I am. My very first friend in the United States, his name is Dwayne, mm-hmm. black kid who I met in the apartment, Section 8 apartment complexes, uh, Shade Tree Apartments in Santa Ana where we lived. I was six years old. Uh, I didn't speak English. He was just like, hey, look, another kid, kids speak yeah. kids, right? Uh, you don't have to know the language. We yeah. just run around goofing off. And I remember the first time he took me into his apartment, I met his mom. She cooked food for us. And I waited for, you know, like, I know my dad's coming home from work right now. Mm. His dad never showed up. I later learned there was no dad, it was just him wow. and his younger sister and mom. And um, a young man that I mentor, His name is Leighton. He actually teaches my son how to skate. He's a a black kid. uh, He's 23 years old now. I've known him since he was 10 years old. His mom, Toy, uh, single black mom, dad was in prison. Uh, Toy was a Client of mine in my boot camp that I had here. This is way before Fit Body Boot Camp. I'm yeah. talking 2005, 2006 I, at Butterfield Ranch Park. <laughs> wow, wow. I ran boot camp. Out, I was camp. graduating from high school. Were you? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so damn, I'm that old. Hey man, you what year did two, you graduate? Though, 2005. I'll be 33 on Sunday. Oh my god, dude, I'm 45, but I, I feel 33. That's the yeah. thing. That's all that matters. But happy uh, early birthday. In case I it. Forget <laughs> to text you on Sunday. But um, so anyway, Layton, single family home again. Both Dwayne and Layton grew up very strong, respectful, uh, put together, but Toy was like vigilant. Mm-hmm. Like when I was training her and a group of ladies at Butterfield Ranch Park, Layton was there with his little skateboard, mm-hmm. skating around, and as soon as he would go around a curve in the park, Butterfield Ranch Park, and Toy couldn't make eye contact. she back over here. She would yell, Layton! <laughs> <"Wait, Dad!" laughs> right, like, and he'd come right r- around the corner. I was like, fuck, that's how Dwayne's mom was. And I think both moms knew that I have to take the mom and the dad role here. Yes, That was the differentiating factor with Dwayne and Layton. And today Layton, I, I mentor this young man and I'm just so proud of him. Uh, and he almost brought me to tears because he was sitting right in your seat last week sometime interviewing me for his show wow. on YouTube. And talking about full circle, man, he was like a little puppy, little 10 year old kid, right? And now he's married, he's, he, and he's starting his own business. He let, I, I got him to quit Men's Warehouse down here, and he's starting his own business, you know, teaching very, skating. Very yeah, cool. yeah, So, But I share all yeah, that I with met him, actually. Yeah? At men's Very warehouse. bright. OK, very bright. Well, OK, at Men's Warehouse, he probably wore a suit. But he also has a clothing line, so very much like all great entrepreneurs, like you and me, mm. he's got like, so he's teaching skating, and he's, got, he's creating his own clothing line that's very bright in colors. Um, and he can pull it off cause he's, he's, he's got, he's got <laughs> swagger for days. And, uh, but anyway, I share this with you, but most black men grew up in a home without a dad. Mm-hmm. This is a statistic. You said it, the statistics prove it. There's and a, yeah. I'm going to ask you something. I agree. Black lives matter. Mm-hmm. So if black lives matter. Why are we not taking care of all those black fucking life? dads who are
0: leaving those women? Why are we not taking pregnant. care of our own black? What's life? going on? And it, yeah, it's sad. And there, there's a book called The Boy Crisis, and it really talks about the the boys being raised in single parent families. And there's something there's there's a certain bond that a, a boy has with his dad that he needs mm-hmm. that even the mom can't provide as as hard as she tries. And shout out to all the single moms out there. You guys, man, like without you, we couldn't be who we are. You're so strong, independent, but there's certain things boys need from a dad. And so it's okay to say Black Lives Matter, but don't just say it because of at the hands of police. Black lives should matter at the hands of everything. It should, it should matter when it comes to us raising our kids. It should come to us, you know, not killing each other in the streets. Like on black crime. Exactly, it should not come to us, you know, it, it, it should matter in every facet of our life. Same thing with every other race. The one thing, and, and uh, you know, it's funny, uh, uh, this one guy yesterday gave me this perspective that I never even looked at it like this, but the whole comparison of black lives matter. Cause some people will say, oh, well yeah, white lives matter and blue lives matter and all the other stuff. But somebody else, this white guy told me, it was a good analogy, he was like, would you go to a breast cancer awareness event talking about lung cancer matters? And I was like, oh, that's kind of deep. He was like, so the whole analogy of why they're saying black lives matter is they're saying, hey, it matters now. But going back to your point is, yes, it matters now. Black lives matter now because we are dealing with George Floyd's death, which was, and I don't know if I've said this on this episode today, but it was unjustified without a doubt. We didn't even get into specifics of that. But as a police officer, I'm telling you, there was nothing justifiable about that incident involving George Floyd. So, yes, Black Lives Matter. And it does. At the time right now, we do need to raise awareness for that situation and our history and society. I did a video about this the other day about where we come from, slavery and all the other stuff and civil rights. There are things that we can't try to hide and sweep under the rug as a rug as Americans. Uh, we can still move on from, but at the same time, if we're gonna say Black Lives Matter as a black man, it needs to matter in all facets of my life. Bingo. When I raise my kids, you know how I'm raising him to treat other people, making sure that he values other, not just Black lives, but other life in general. And so, that's what we need to get to as a society and start just saying it because it sounds catchy. Yeah. And that it just it just irritates yeah. me that people just say stuff because it's just
1: it's catchy. And, and that's the thing that gets me right because again. I had a very unique perspective as a foreigner growing up. So my skin's not black. Uh, I've got beautiful olive skin, and I tan really well. I never burn, by the way. I tan <laughs> so good. You get that good, a lot yeah, 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 tan, yeah. Yeah, yeah but but I grew up when you grew up in Section Eight housing. Like a lot of the neighborhood, a lot of the apartment complex was full of African Americans, yeah. full of black kids. And in fact, two dudes that I, that Dwayne introduced me to. He introduced me to white kids, Mexican kids. But two dudes, torrents and Demetrius, who we were all friends with, ended up being mortal enemies by the time we got into high school, bro. That's fucking crazy. mortal enemies. And I saw black on black crime. It's crazy. Two friends that we would play snake in the grass as little fucking kids at Shade Tree Apartments ended up being mortal enemies. And I
0: experienced black on black crime for a Like you guys, are, we're fucking friends. We would eat yeah. each other's house. I know, it's crazy. It's crazy. And, and I tell people, you know, what's funny is I tell people like, hey, look, like if you're going to say black lives matter, Like that's all good and daddy, but what are you doing? Like I was just saying, I can confidently say for the police standpoint, I'm going to, I call out bad cops. Like it is what it is. Like, and it's hard. And people don't even understand how hard and the inherent dangers that comes with because I'm still a full-time cop. So if I go out there and I have been involved in a use of force, I've been involved in the shooting before. If for whatever reason that doesn't go right what do you think that the defense attorney is going to do right away? They're going to go and pull up all my content, mm-hmm. every breakdown I've done. Every, so I, there's inherent dangers that come to that, and I acknowledge it. But I still recognize it needs to be done in order to move forward. But the reason I bring it up is because I'm out there. If you want us as law enforcement officers to change the way you are treated and, and get your due rights, I'm doing my part. Like, you will never be able to say, hey, Ryan didn't do what he's what. Like, I'm doing my part. But I also need you to do your part and govern your communities, whether you're black, white, Asian or anything, yep. govern yourselves, govern yep. the way. And, and I hate when people say like, oh, you know, because I'll bring up like, or people bring well, oh, black on black crime. And they'll be like, well, if you look at the statistics and this and that proportionally or, or the economic downfall, it's like stop using all these freaking excuses. Go out there and police our community. We can go for days and talk about numbers. I can talk about numbers all day. It starts with the tribe.
1: It starts with the tribe. It starts with the parents at home. And, hey, listen, man, I get it. You had sex. Oh, shit, she got pregnant. Like, you're a man, and I'm speaking to men now. You're black, you're white, you're Asian, you're Mexican, it doesn't matter. I'm speaking to men right now. You're a man, you got her pregnant? Do the manly thing. Man up. Man up. <laughs> and get Truly. The blood. Truly, because you have a responsibility for that child that's about to be yep. born, and now is going to have a perception of dad left. So am I just, at the very least, they feel I'm not lovable, I w- I'm not worthy. At the very least. On the high end, I'm a piece of shit, and I'm just gonna go out and create
0: cause crime. Yeah, and if we're raising our kids that way to not have value, so full circle here. You ask me where I get that self-awareness. I get it from not only my, my, my Lord and Savior, but I also get it from my parents, because they told me at a young age, like, you can do whatever the heck you want to do. Don't ever let anybody tell you you can't do what they can't do. Don't ever let anybody do that. You can go and do it just as much as anybody else can. Will it take work? Yes so when we devalue our young boys our young girls and tell them that they're not if i tell my sons that you're not a piece of crap or even let's say i don't even tell them that but i walk around and carry myself like that how are they going to look if if i don't treat my wife if i don't love her if i don't take care of her What kind of what am I showing for my daughter Mm -hmm. of what she needs to find in a man? She's that's going to allow her to go out and find some freaking piece of crap turd that wants to treat her, however, because that's how I treated my wife. So that self-awareness is important in every area of your life. And so, you know entrepreneurship has this negative connotation to it sometimes because people think, oh, you're just trying to get over, you're just trying to make some money on me. When I first started and everybody like, when fi- people find out that, oh, BBU is not a, a nonprofit, they're like, oh, really? Oh, uh, if, uh, that's, that's kind of weird. I'm like, it's a win-win. Like, you can do the right thing and still make money. And this is what I'm gonna leave, I'm gonna end on this note for, for this part is like, look, when I work a 40 hour a week job, just like you said, I have a full-time business. I have to make sure my boy Billy eats. I have a lot of stuff that I have to do. Nonprofits are great. They're all great and Danny, and, and I'm actually in the process I'm gonna be starting a nonprofit, So don't get me wrong, they're- And by they're, the way, I'm gonna work my hardest to talk you out of that uh, off camera. <laughs> but that's a different issue. Okay, cool. So, so they're important, they have its place. But when I leave, when I leave my, to go to my 40 hour uh, a week job, who do you think suffers? My wife and kids. When I go do my business, Who do you think suffers my wife and kids so i do there does need to be a level of compensation so i can make that because you cannot make time back you can't right so at the same time though you can still form an llc or whatever it is you want to do and do it for the right reasons it's i've created a win-win-win for everybody so one thing we didn't touch on today is what my actual business model looks like share that i have my speaking business which is where i travel i speak to police officers and when I'm speaking to police officers, I'm talking about recruiting and retention. How do we recruit the next generation officers and how do we retain them? The, uh, I have my uh, after-school programs, and what my after-school programs consist of is I hire police officers outside of their day job to come and mentor kids in schools to not only about law enforcement, but just to be big, good, good brothers and sisters. Why do I do that? Because I recognize a lot of kids don't have both parents in the house, so they need a mentor in their life, just like I have a mentor. So I created a win-win structure where I can pay the officers that are away from their own families to go mentor somebody else's kids win-win structure we have the recruiting platform that we're in the process of doing to help people get hired in law enforcement we have our podcast called it's needed which is strictly for branding purposes and to really raise awareness to law enforcement in the community I bring all that up to say this is that you can go out there have a full streamlined business for the right reasons to do the right things and not have to fall into that category of being oh he's just trying to scheme on me to make money on me that you can you can Amen. do the right thing for the right reasons exactly you can create change and you can create pocket
1: change at the yes, same you can. time yes, you, you can. absolutely can and so to that point I want to end on something what what just it was it was humorous to me I love when comedians use humor because I believe it brings down the wall, it brings down gar- everyone's guard when they use humor to teach a lesson. And so I saw a piece, uh, I'm, I'm a big Cro- Chris Rock fan, and I saw, <laughs> I saw a piece where he he talks about, um, and no offense here, because you're a cop, Yeah. Uh, but he talks oh, about- I know what's the episode you're talking about, so where, like, it's hilarious. The the, the, the bad apple, like, yeah. right, where yeah, it's it's hilarious. Like, he's like, yeah, people are just saying, oh, that cop's just a bad apple, he's just a bad apple, a bad apple. He goes, but American Airlines, he goes, in some professions, you can't have bad apples. He goes, imagine if American Airlines said, all our pilots are good. We just have a couple of bad apples. You ain't most, get of them, <laughs> most of them are good. Like mo- most of them, like 99% are good. They, they will land the plane. But just a few bad apples like to fucking crash that plane into a mountainside. <laughs> and he made a good point. Like mm-hmm. certain industries, yep. we simply we cannot have bad apples. Can't and pull. and you are leading the fight against that. Yes,
0: 100%. Yeah. It has to be led in... It's a zero sum. I mean, that you just can't have bad apples. No, we we I think single handedly, you know, people would beg to differ. If you look up the top 10 dangerous jobs, law enforcement is maybe towards the end of it, maybe not even on the list. You have like got professionals like loggers and things like that. But I truly believe we have the most dangerous job and the most difficult job, because when I pull you over, I don't know who I'm pulling over. I can be pulling over you that just escaped from prison, federal prison, and you're not going back or I can be pulling over a soccer mom and not even know it. Right. You know, I share a story, you know, the you talked about my samurai story earlier.
1: Yeah, I'd love for you to share that story after after you make this point.
0: Uh, yeah, it's just we just have a dangerous job. We don't know who we're dealing with. And so when people say we target and this and that, have there been officers that, you know, have racially targeted people? Yes. And we can't sit here and act like that it has not happened and it doesn't happen in certain places i can tell you in california law enforcement's way different and we're really ahead of the curve on a lot of stuff it's illegal here so it's a very difficult job going to my samurai story really really briefly um one time i, was, I got called to uh, it was a call for service basically guy, and you were a new cop when this was i was a new cop yeah. i was fairly new yeah so we got i was call for service hey guy just stabbed his dad with a samurai sword so this was towards the end of my shift, too. So I'm think, I'm getting ready to go home. I'm thinking about some apple pie I got in the refrigerator. I'm like, man, I'm already, like, checked out. Right. Get this call. I'm like, oh, golly, man. I'm like So anyways, I'm driving there. At the time, Bruno Mars, it just came out with, like, 24 carats. So I'm, like, yeah. got my music turned up. It's so funny, too, because... You know, we get this image of, like, you know, police officers just being all wait, up. Wait, you guys can up. bump music? At oh, all time, on, man. Really? All time. Oh, heck yeah. It's funny because you guys will be, like, we'll be I can't wait to go on a ride-along now. Oh, yeah. Like, you'll what be, am I doing being a CEO? Yeah. People people will be behind, like, you'll be in front of us and I'll be behind you and you guys are all tensed up, like, white knuckled and stuff like that. Y'all don't even realize I'm, like, eating, reaching for, like, greasy, <laughs> greasy McDonald fries or whatever. So, anyways, I'm driving to the call for service get there as I get out of my car this guy comes from behind me he's like, ah, I'm like oh snaps like there's really samurais out here tonight like like this is not a game tonight so I get back in my car because I'm not about to be ninja swiped like that's not like <laughs> not today like that ain't happening today so I get back in my car wait it was the guy with the samurai sword who, who yeah, came I'm running? assuming so I didn't know some guys like come in I just hear him yelling so yeah. I rate retract and then as I get back, like as I retract to, you know, reposition my car, like my partners have found this guy and like we're trying to take this guy into custody. And so as we're trying to take him into custody, like, like uh my partner Asby, i my like Asby tases him. She t- tases him like five times and it doesn't work like ineffective my man's like foaming at the mouth like oh, just shit. like yeah it's crazy so i'll pull my baton and i'm like man shoot i've been benching 315 pounds like i'm in tip-top shape could have been the nfl so i hit my man in the leg like boom and my man just looks at me i'm like oh snaps like this dude did not i was like you just gonna act like my hit didn't hurt in front of my friends like so anyways so we hit him another time doesn't work so finally, it took about six or seven oh of us God. to take this guy into custody. And when we take him into custody.
1: Wait, is he holding the sword this whole time? While no, ha- the sword, sword's not there. The sword's not there. So now here. the sword's gone. Yeah, he
0: didn't have the sword. He didn't come out with the sword. Okay, okay, got, he, it. Yeah, so, got it.
1: He's just not going down. So He's just not going yeah, down. Yeah,
0: yeah, So w- finally, we get this guy into custody. And what didn't—what we didn't realize was that I looked down the street, and what I see is the whole neighborhood out at like 3 o'clock in the morning. With oh, the shit. Out. So perspective. Yeah. The whole neighborhood, all they do is see a bunch of cops on top of this guy. Yep. So they automatically, you go on Chino Connects, we were like, police brutality, oh my goodness, this is so stupid, oh my goodness, blah, 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 blah. Not even realizing that the dude just freaking tried to kill his dad. He missed his dad's heart by like that much. Dad ended up living. Dude was like strung out on all types of crazy drugs, whatever it was, but it just talks about perspective and that's what also makes our jobs so difficult. I was talking to Joan earlier and I was like, you know, we just saw that they just charged those guys in George Floyd, rightfully so. But I was like, and she was, and we were talking about the protests and how it seems like the protests are working because they're filing charges and stuff, Like great. I was like, but that's also dangerous. And the reasons it's so dangerous is because it shows that if people are emotionally charged based off of a video they see and not know the context, they can easily try to ch- up some charges on me because they're emotionally charged by it and people feel the pressure that they have to react to yes. that. Yes, yes. Our lawmakers do feel and that and pressure. And it's so scary because I can literally, I can be in your studio today doing this podcast and, and, and next week go out and get in a use of force incident that was considered uh, controversial. And because of pressure put on people because of our climate, they can hike charges up to murder on me. Because people don't realize the moment we pull our gun out, if I shoot, I'm charged. If I kill them, I'm charged as a murder suspect. If I miss, I'm charged as an attempt murder suspect. It's not like we just go back home and just like, oh, everything's all good. Go back to my day to day. Like, no, I'm a suspect in a crime at that point in time. I have to get a lawyer at that point in time. Like, people don't realize that. Whoa. People think that we just go back home and we're just chilling. I was involved in a shooting. Can't get into the specifics of it, but I was involved in a shooting. And the first thing I had to do, they took me back to the station. And one of the first things they told me to do was like, hey, we're going to call your attorney. And I'm like, are you like. So they call my attorney to talk to her and I'm freaking nervous at this point because now I'm starting to second guess. Like, did I not make the right decision? Right. Like, what, like, was something wrong? And so she has to go through, she has to talk to everybody, interview everybody. She's like, hey, don't talk to people. Can't talk to nobody about it. So not only do I feel the internal pressure of like, man, did I make the right decision? I can't talk about it with nobody. It's an investigation. It's, char- it's, it's, it's a criminal investigation. So they're out there investigating this whole situation. Then you have to, she has to tell you, well, you have the ability to give a voluntary statement to detectives, or you can say no. So that was a moment because it's like, well, shoot, like, what do I do? I've never been in this situation before. Then you fast forward. Jeez. If you don't give that voluntary statement, they have something that's called the lie barger, which basically forces you to talk. And if you don't talk, they can fire you. They say, I'm ordering you to talk about that situation. And if you don't, you can be fired. And this is not a knock on the, the, the criminal. This is anything. It's, help. it's telling people, like, there are measures in place to make sure we get rid of bad people. All right. So at that moment in time, they read me the same rights that I read to the same people I take to jail. Are you just tripping out in that moment? Like, what the hell? And they tell you before, they brace you like, hey, wow. I don't want you to flip out when you're in here, but just know like, we're gonna read you your Miranda rights you have, you're, you have the right to remain silent Anything you say can and will be used against you in the court of law you have the right to an attorney uh, to, you have the right to have an attorney to have him present with you while you're being questioned if you cannot afford to, if you cannot afford to hire an attorney one would be appointed to represent you before questioning question if you wish one the same rights i read to people that i arrest were the same rights they read to me when i fired my gun because i had a, i was trying to stop an imminent threat to the public mm. So when we sit here and say like, there is no measures in place to guard against crooked cops, there are, could it be better? Yes, but we can't get fooled to think that we just go home and just go to sleep and sleep well at night. Imagine if we kill people, not only do we have to deal with the external legal stress and the pressures of losing everything, but you also have to deal with the fact that you took another person's life, whether it was justified or not, it still doesn't make it easy. Well said, how do people find you? Find me on Instagram, breaking underscore barriers underscore united. I get that right, Billy. And then uh, you can find us on Facebook, Breaking Barriers United, uh YouTube channel, Breaking Barriers United. And uh, am I missing any ones? Podcast, yes, podcast, podcast. man. Yeah, that's a big my bad. I wanna be big, on that podcast. Yeah, oh yeah, you are. We already got it. Me and Joan have already talked about it. So it's needed podcast. Um and that is spelled I-T, uh, I-T-S-N-E-E-D-E-D. It's needed. And the reason that where that came from is anytime anybody asked what my business was, and I start telling them, they're like, oh, my goodness, that's so needed. It's needed, yeah. So I was like, let's just yep. call it It's Needed. So. Well, Ryan,
1: bro, I appreciate you, one, being transparent to being entertaining, because at the end of the day, all information that you're gonna find on podcasts, videos, whatever, if there's no entertainment, people are just gonna stop watching. Nobody lives. And you are—you do have the gift of entertaining and self-awareness. And entertainment is important, because that's how you also get your message across when you're speaking to other cops, schools, kids, et cetera. And I really appreciate you making the time to come out here today with your busy schedule, and the fact that you've been uh, sending me pictures. Like, Just so you guys know, can I say what department yeah. you work for? Yeah. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, Ryan works for Chino, our neighboring city here in Chino Hills. But you guys have been loaned out to different cities like San Bernardino County, yeah. Et cetera. Yeah. Because of the riots that are going on. Yeah. So you're sending me pictures of you in riot gear yeah. and shit. And then here you are in the studio. In my J's. Yeah, yeah, looking so dapper. (laughs) All right, guys and gals, thank you so much for watching and listening to this episode of The Empire Show. As always, the goal is to make money and to use that money to have massive meaning and impact in the world around us. And as always, do me a favor, take a screenshot of this, tag Ryan, tag myself, leave a five-star review on all the social media platforms and the podcast platforms. And as always, thank you for listening. We'll see you
0: later.